Amen. Thank you, Pastor Jason. Beautiful singing this morning. We appreciate that so much. Musicians and singers, and thank you. Um, I've got an item of rejoicing here to share with you. Pete and Jessica Millen are expecting their third child. And so congratulations to them. Are they in the building? Yeah, right over there. Raise your hand. All right. Praise the Lord. Amen. Kaylee and Evie will now have a baby brother or sister. We don't know. We don't know. Uh, we're in a Bible study I'm calling Great Passages of the Bible, the Scripture. The reason is that we're, I'm taking some of those passages that we all know so well. We learned in maybe Sunday school or VBS, uh, like uh, David and Goliath and, and uh, Daniel in a den of lions and so forth. And, and uh, we're looking at those again. Uh, now today, we will be in Acts chapter 12. You look at your screen there, you see Acts chapter 12, part 2. Uh, so turn there, Acts chapter 12. And uh, last week, or not last week, I was gone last week. By the way, thank you for your prayers. Karen and I had a great trip, and we, are, we now have four of the Alabama grandkids with us. And uh, we not only have four grandkids. We have a big dog with us. I guess that's a grand dog, maybe. I don't know. Uh, and uh, so uh, but we're having a great time enjoying the grandkids. And we take, we'll take them back the end of this, this week, the end of this coming week. Uh, Acts chapter 12. Now we looked at this, and really I read every verse uh, last week down to uh, maybe verse 17 and I did a little running commentary on, on it and so forth but my emphasis last week or two weeks ago was on contentment finding contentment in life and I think that's a great subject an important subject the Bible speaks a lot about it as we looked at two weeks ago but today I want to think about prayer and prayer as the, the principles we see, the thoughts we see about prayer that are in this passage. Uh, so I wanna, we're looking at the same passage, different emphasis uh, here in this, uh, this morning. So let's read the first few verses again and we'll get to remind ourselves. Uh, look at verse 1. Now about that time Herod the king stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And because he saw it pleased the people, he proceeded further to take Peter also. When were the, then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him or arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quadrants or four groups of four soldiers uh, to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. If you've got a newer translation, instead of Easter, that'll, it'll say Passover, and I explained that last week. Uh, and then, uh, uh, so after Easter, to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but, there's that wonderful little word, but, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. It looked bad, it looked hopeless, but God's people prayed. It looked like there was no chance, but God's people prayed. Sometimes life is that way, isn't it? Sometimes it looks hopeless. 
and uh, it looks impossible. But when we pray, it activates God's power in our lives. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for our time together today. We pray your blessings upon it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. When Emily, our youngest daughter, who's the one who lives now in Alabama, when she was young, she had tubes put in her ears like many children do. And, uh, but when the tubes came out, instead of the hole, the hole healing over in the eardrum, the hole got bigger. And it continued to get bigger. And so we took her to specialist, of course. And, and uh, so uh, eventually she had to have surgery on both ears and had her uh, eardrum, both eardrums repaired. And, uh, and still, after a period of time, she still couldn't hear well, and she still, uh, these holes came back. The perforations came back in her eardrums. So we took her to a different specialist. And uh, this specialist found something called clostiotoma, which was a tumors growing in her ears. They were benign, they were not cancerous, but they were tumors growing in her ears, and uh, they were eating away the, uh, the eardrum. Well, and then also he told us, on one side, uh, this, this tumor had eaten the hearing bone away. There's three hearing bones in your ear, and one of them, if your eardrum looked like this, one of them kind of hangs down in front of it, you know, like this, and... Uh, and when the waves come through, it wiggles, you know, and that, uh, and that bone is, is, picks up the hearing. So anyway, this claustiotoma had eaten away this hear, hearing bone completely out of one ear. There was little damage elsewhere, but this was the big damage. And so the doctor told us he could do surgery. He couldn't repair those eardrums. You have to replace them completely. And, uh, and so... Um, uh, but, he said, she will never hear in the normal range because of this disease. Now, he would take out the, the tumors as well. And, but he said that the hearing was so far damaged that she would never hear out of in the normal range. So uh, we accepted that. And he said she would have to wear a hearing aid for the rest of her life. And that starting out, she would probably have to wear one with a little battery pack and a wire going up to your ear, you know. She was already a little self-conscious about the fact she couldn't speak clearly because of her hearing. You know, if you don't hear well, you can't speak well. And, and uh, so I kind of hated for her to wear those uh, hearing aid, even though many people do wear hearing aids, and they're a wonderful thing. <clears throat> so we were encouraging to her and told her it would be fine to wear hearing aid and so forth. And... and um, so the, the surgery took place, and it was successful as far as the doctor could tell. And everything looked good, and he came back out and told us, you know, you come back in eight weeks for a hearing test, and then there'll be another eight weeks or something. But anyway, after that first eight weeks or so, he said, we can tell what kind of hearing aid uh, to make for Emily. And so uh, eight weeks went by, and, but I decided that I would pray concerning that thing, of course, as any parent would. And so every night after Emily went to sleep, I walked into her room and stood beside her 
put my hand down over her ear and prayed that the Lord would touch the ear and let her hear in the normal range. And if he didn't, it would be fine. The hearing aid would be fine. But if he would, I sure would appreciate it. And so this went on for eight weeks or so. So she went back for her test. You know how they go into that little room where you, you know, that's a soundproof room and you hear the clicks or whatever and so forth. And so she was in there an unusually long time. She had done this many times prior and before the surgeries. And, and uh, so the doctor told her. Now he told us before that test again, he said, I'm just reminding you now that we, you know, we don't know what our hearing will be like, but we know it won't be in the normal range. And we said, yeah, we, we remember. And so, uh, unusually long time for the test. Then he comes out and he says, I don't know how to explain this. He said, your daughter's hearing is in the normal range. The bone is still gone, of course, but somehow she can hear normally. He said he didn't understand it, but Karen and I understood it. God's kindness, God's goodness, not because I was something special by any means, not because I was good, but because God is good. Amen? And he hears and answers the prayers of his people. It may seem hopeless, but when God's people pray, things happen. Wonderful things. And so we have here, then, in this passage, this story about answered prayer and a few thoughts I'm going to share with you. The, uh, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> excuse me. Let me remind you of the story. I know you're familiar with it, with it and I read it last week, but I'm not going to read it again. But let me just tell it quickly. Herod, the, the uh, grandson of Herod the Great, was king of Israel in this time. He wanted to curry favor with the Jews, so he arrested James and killed him just to please the Jews. James, the brother of John. And then he took Peter. He thought, well, this would even be a greater catch because Peter's the, you know, the leader of the apostles, and also he's the one that opened the teaching of the gospel to the Gentiles in Caesarea. And so... He arrests him as well with plans to take to kill him, as we read a few moments ago after Easter, Easter for the Christian Passover for the Jew, and uh, and of course you remember he was in prison with these four guards that watched him all the time. They had four, you know, uh, shifts, four shifts, and. Uh, Two were on each side chained to him and two stood outside of his cell and he was asleep inside the cell. There's a picture of contentment we talked about two weeks ago. And then an angel appeared, smote him on the side to wake him up, patted, you know, hit him on the side, said, wake up, Peter. And uh, he woke up and he didn't know for sure whether he was dreaming or not. And apparently the uh, God caused some kind of sleep to fall upon the guards, the Chains fell off. Peter followed the angel out of the uh, cell and down the corridors and past the other jailers who apparently were caused to uh, sleep as well. 
And uh, then the big iron gate leading into the city opened. God's big unseen hands reached down and opened that big iron gate and he walked out. And uh, the angel just disappeared. Now we talked a lot about those things the last two weeks ago. And then Peter realized it was not a dream at all, but God had sent an angel and uh, he was free. So then he, you know, maybe looks around, decides where am I going to go here in the middle of the night. So he goes to the, to the church. Always a good thing to do, go to church, right? And so he goes to the church. And it was in uh, uh, this, the home of John Mark's mother. And, uh, and they've been praying there all through the night. They had an all-night prayer meeting. And uh, so he goes and knocks at the gate out there and, you know, the little girl Rhoda comes and, and uh, she hears Peter's voice and knows it's Peter. She gets so excited she doesn't even open the gate to let Peter in, but she runs back inside and tells everybody, Peter's out there, Peter's out there, you know, and, uh, and they all, instead of saying, praise the Lord, he heard our prayers, they all said, you're crazy, Peter can't be out there, Peter's in prison, he can't get out of prison. And uh, so they went back and forth, and she kept insisting, and eventually they said, well, maybe it's, it's his angel. And finally somebody got the uh, good idea to say, well, let's just go open the door and see, you know. And so they do. They all go open there. Sure enough, there's Peter. He has to quieten everybody down. You can imagine how they were talking and asking qu questions. He quietens them down, tells them the story. <clears throat> and then it says he slipped away. We don't see him again until chapter 15. And uh, it, it is almost as though he walks off the pages of Scripture, and he does, except for chapter 15, and the rest of the book is uh, the human uh, center is the Apostle Paul, as opposed to Peter. Of course, the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit are the, uh, the center of the book. Well, uh, with that said, we, we see this, their prayers were answered. Now, here's some things that I want us to think about in this in this passage this church was praying all night now I, I come from a background where where preaching forgive me for saying this and I'm not criticizing other preachers at all but I come from a background where the object of preaching was to get people to come to the altar you know if you had one or two come, that was okay. If you had ten come, man, that was a good sermon, you know. And uh, so, you know, people tried to, for lack of a better word, drag people to the altar. I later in my ministry found, you know, that preaching is not about who comes to the altar. Preaching is about teaching the Word of God, encouraging God's people. And if people want to come forward to the altar, that's wonderful and good. And, uh, but it's certainly not necessary. People make wonderful decisions sitting right where they are and they grow in grace and grow in the Lord uh, sitting right in the pew listening to God's word being taught and preached. But at any rate, that's the kind of preaching I grew up listening to. And, uh, and when it came to prayer, now if somebody preached on prayer, you knew, man, as soon as they announced they were going to be preaching on prayer, you knew the altar was going to be full. Because none of us ever feel like we pray quite enough, you know. And uh, so we have this kind of thing eating at us like we don't pray enough. And then somebody gets up and they tell a story about 
you know, somebody back in church history that prayed four hours a day, or they tell stories about somebody they know that prays an hour every morning, and this, that, and the other, and it makes us feel guilty, and then people come to the altar, and they make commitments, and then they try to keep up with what somebody else did, and they can't do it, and then they feel like a failure, and then they just end up not praying at all. They get the mentality that I'm just not a praying person. You know, I can't do it, and I've heard the stories about everybody else, but I just can't do it. I want to I try to break down that myth at least for a few minutes this morning. In some of that kind of preaching... Sometimes this is brought up, they, they prayed all night. This is the only time in Scripture that we know of where the church prayed all night. Now, they may have prayed even days prior to that because Peter may have been in jail for several days. So they may have been praying several days. But remember, the pastor, James, James, the half-brother of Jesus, wasn't there. And he was the pastor of the church. So obviously, that means everybody wasn't there. Some people were probably there that night. Some people were maybe going to be there the next night, and some were there the night before. There was probably some kind of system of rotating uh, in and out of the church. Maybe some people prayed for two hours or an hour, and others came and prayed an hour or two hours and so forth. But anyway, the church prayed all night, and that's a wonderful thing. But the church is never commanded to pray all night. The church may pray all night at times when there is a tremendous need like there was in chapter 12 here. And then also when those preachers who sometimes, with, without intending to, but they make us feel so guilty about prayer, uh, they talk about Jesus praying all night. And, uh, you know, they say Jesus prayed all night and we, you know, we should uh, pray more often and so on and so forth. The truth is the scripture only talks about Jesus praying all night one time. And uh, that is in Luke chapter 6, verse 12. And Jesus prayed all night before he chose his apostles, his 12 apostles. There were many disciples. Remember, a disciple is a follower, a learner. And he had many disciples, but he needed to choose 12 apostles. Apostles are sent ones, ones that he would train specifically to send out with the gospel message. So he did. He prayed all night that night. Uh, now, we know Jesus prayed a lot. He communed with his Father all the time, but he also had special times of prayer. We're told, for instance, uh, uh, that one, on one occasion he arose real early before the sun came up and went to a solitary place and prayed. We're told another time that after a, a day of preaching and healing, when he would have been exhausted physically, instead of going on to eat dinner with everybody else, he found a solitary place to be alone, to commune with his Father. So we know Jesus put much emphasis on prayer. But he really only prayed through the night one time, maybe two if you count the Garden of Gethsemane, where his prayer became as drops of blood. And, but many things happened that night, just not his prayer. Many things happened, of course, the arrest and, and uh, the, uh, uh, his disi disciples, the, the, the teaching of John 13 and so forth, uh, uh, the Lord's Supper and all that happening that same evening through the night. So maybe two times. But nowhere are Christians commanded to pray all night 
or even is it suggested that we pray all night? But sometimes we may. For instance, we may, when, like Jesus, when we've got a tremendous decision to make, we maybe we'll pace the floor and pray and get down on our knees and pray. I know at least on several occasions, I've prayed through the night trying to make a really difficult decision. One time when we first moved to North Carolina, Karen and I both from Chattanooga, Tennessee. My family lived there. I was very close to my mother and father. I hated to leave them. And Karen's dad, Fred, Karen and Doug's dad, Fred was there. We hated to leave Fred. And Fred needed us. He needed our help. But not only that, if we were going to move, we were going to take Doug with us. That meant we were taking Doug away from his father, Fred. That was a tough decision. We, we, we had to seek and know the will of God, what we believe God wanted us to do. On a couple of other occasions through life, when big decisions were to be made, I prayed through the night. But it's not a common thing or a regular thing. It's not something that if a preacher said, if you hadn't prayed all night in the last month, there's something wrong with you. That's not true. You may, be, may just do this a time or two in your whole life. Another time Karen and I prayed through the night, our daughter, Christy, our middle daughter, Christy, had, uh, had a blood disorder. And uh, she started bleeding under her skin, bleeding from her eyes and her, her teeth and everything. And so, obviously, we took her to the emergency room and, and uh, they called in an oncologist. And uh, he was a, uh, specialized in leukemia and uh, so forth so they brought him in and he examined her they did x-rays and so forth and she spent a day in the ER and uh, he told us it's it's one of three things he said it's either leukemia a brain tumor or something called uh, uh, IPT no ITP ITP uh, idiopathic uh, something purpura. can't remember the middle name now. Um, and so she was, they put padding all around her bed because they said if she bumped her arm and bruised it, she might bleed to death. He said, he was a specialist in leukemia. He said he had never seen anyone's platelet counts as low as hers were, not even in leukemia patients. And so, as you would, any of you parents, we sat beside her bed and prayed all night, you know, and uh, prayed that God would heal her and keep her alive and keep her safe and, and so forth. And so, uh, the doctor ran up the next morning, and uh, he ran in the room out of breath, excited to tell us that it was this uh, ITP, uh, idiopathic trom something. And... Uh, he said, so it's not cancer, it's not a brain tumor. And he was overjoyed himself. And so Karen and I, of course, began to rejoice and praise the Lord. But you may pray all night at a time like that, of course. But God doesn't tell us to pray all night. And something else, too. We're never commanded to pray for an hour every day. Some people preach that as though it is written in stone. As though God wrote it with his finger or something. Now, there are times when people prayed and, 
and prayed for an hour, but we're never commanded to do so. It's never even really suggested to Christians to pray for an hour every day. You may have tried it in the past. You may have been one of those people who tried it for two or three days and decided you were just not a praying person because you couldn't think of anything to say for an hour and uh, you kept going to sleep or something like that. Yeah, you know, I know you know what I'm talking about. But God doesn't really say we ought to pray an hour every day. But he does say we ought to pray. And so let me encourage you to, uh, to pray. And uh, let me show you a passage of Scripture up here. Look at your screen for a moment. Here is uh, uh, something Jesus said. He said, but when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask him. The heathen had an idea that the more they prayed, the more words they could heap up in their prayers, the better chance they had of getting an answer. God, the Lord Jesus said, don't be like that. Your Father knows what you need. Just lay it out before him and tell him. Uh, but don't think that you're twisting his arm. You know, again, where I grew up, the preaching I grew up listening to, when they talk about prayer, they, they kind of gave the idea, now they didn't mean to, I'm sure, but they gave the idea that God was reluctant to do good things for us, and we had to talk him into it. And we had to, and if you really believe something hard enough, or if you really prayed intensely enough, you could talk God into giving you what you wanted. <laughs> and you know, if you carry that to the extreme, there's some groups that, you know, say you can, you know, get a new house, and not just a new house, but, you know, a million-dollar house, and new cars, and boats, and several houses, one at the beach, one at the mountains, and all. You know, if you just have enough faith and you pray hard enough, you can make God give you these things. That's not what prayer's about. Prayer's not like a little kid in a candy store begging for everything he sees. Prayer is like <clears throat> a child with a loving father watching over him or her and giving what they need. You know, we often use that little three-point thing when we're teaching children where we say, uh, God always hears our prayers. Sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says no, and sometimes he says wait. Uh, we teach our children that, but the truth, it really is true. And though it's simple, it's pretty profound. And uh, so anyway, they, they prayed. And uh, I don't want us to be discouraged that we're not praying. Now, I'm not encouraging to pray less. Keep praying. Let me encourage you this. If you're not praying at all, start small. Start with three minutes a day, five minutes a day. You don't have to pray in the morning or the evening uh, necessarily. You can pray either one or both. Or you can pray in your car. Turn your radio off after you listen to a couple of worship songs and, and uh, begin to worship. Turn your radio off and pray on your way to work, on your way back and so forth. Pray at lunch. Start small. Let it happen spontaneously as you are enjoying God's presence and, and, uh, and you're growing in your prayer life. Prayer is a journey. Uh, prayer isn't something you achieve all of a sudden. You don't just learn something in the Bible and say, oh, wow, yeah, now I can flip that switch and I'm a prayer warrior. No, it's a journey. 
The thing is, people drop out of the journey because they get discouraged because they can't pray like they heard about somebody else praying. So let me say to you, don't pray like anybody else. Pray like you. Pray in the morning if that's best or in the evening if that's best. Or, and, and you don't have to be on your knees. The Bible talks about different positions of the body when you're praying. You don't have to be on your knees, but I would encourage you at least every now and then, at least some of the time, get on your knees. Sometimes lift your hands in prayer. The Bible talks about that. Sometimes lay and, and, uh, on the ground and, and pray. Do it your way and in your timing. God answers prayer. Now here's a second thought, and that is, they also prayed for James. James got his head cut off. They prayed for Peter. And the Lord sent an angel and set Peter free. Now, two weeks ago, I did just say this briefly, that I think that you can evaluate that all day, but I think the only real answer to that is that God in his sovereignty chose to take James home and chose to keep Peter serving and delivered him by this miracle. And so the prayer, the, the, sometimes God says no because it's not his divine will. He knows what's best. We think we know what's best, but his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. You know, if, if you've got a three-year-old that loves shiny things and they want that big butcher's knife on your counter, no matter how cute they are, no matter how much they beg for it, they may even cry and beg for it, but you're not going to give them that butcher knife because they're going to hurt themselves with it. You know what's best because you're their father, their mother. You're the adult. God knows what's best. Sometimes he says no, and he did with James. He took James home and let Peter stay. Now, you may say, if that's the case, then there's no use in praying because God's going to do his sovereign will. Well, that's not exactly true either because the scripture tells us there are certain things we won't have unless we do pray. For instance, in James, look back at your screen for a moment. In, uh, uh, in James, oh, I must have punched some buttons here. Let's see. Oh, yeah, that's what we're at. Here we go. In James 4, you have not because you ask not. There are some things that God wants to give you but will only give you if you pray. So you can, you can, there are things you may not have because you haven't prayed. You have not because you ask not. So sometimes he says no, sometimes he says yes. Uh, and then sometimes we pray to please our own selfishness. Look at the next part of, of uh, this passage here. Uh, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss. The word amiss means incorrectly, wrongly. That you may consume it upon your lust. The word lust there doesn't necessarily mean Sexual lust, here in this particular place, it means lust of all kinds. It means strong desires. What you want, 
You want that new thing, that big thing, that more money. You want those things and you ask God so that you can consume it upon your wants and God doesn't hear, God doesn't answer with a yes because he knows what's best for you. And so let me encourage you, even though we will not, we will not change uh, God's mind about his sovereign purposes in life, but in, within his sovereign purposes, he gives us opportunities to ask for things that he wants to give us. D.O. Moody used to say, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance but it is laying hold of God's willingness. So let's lay hold of God's willingness. There are some things he's not going to give us. If you pray for a, that when you wake up in the morning, you'll have a bag of $100 bills worth a million dollars in your living room when you wake up in the morning, I'm pretty sure the Lord's not going to answer that prayer. But if you pray for wisdom to know how to please him in a certain situation you're in, I'm pretty sure he'll answer that one. And so, don't be discouraged in prayer, prayer, but pray. And uh, there's some things we won't have. Now, uh, Jesus said in uh, Matthew 7, Ask and ye shall be given you, seek and ye shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you, for everyone that asketh receiveth, and he, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Those verbs are in a tense in the Greek, that indicates continual action. So we would read it like this, ask and keep on asking. And uh, uh, the Amplified uh, tries to point out those, uh, those verbs in the Greek, so the Amplified puts it like this, keep on asking and it will be given you. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking reverently and the door will be opened unto you. For everyone who keeps on asking receives, and he who keeps on seeking finds, and to him who keeps on knocking, the door will be opened. So keep on praying. Don't give up praying. If you don't get the right answer, even while you're praying for something, God may let you see that that thing that you're praying about may not be his will, and so he will change the way you're praying in the, in the midst of your praying, and you'll keep on seeking and keep on asking till you line yourself up with what he really wants to give you in answer to prayer. And so keep on. Keep on praying. And then uh, Jeremiah gives us this wonderful promise. Call unto me, God says, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. That Bible verse is scratched in the concrete right here under this pulpit. The purpose that I scratched it there was to honor God because of the $3 million miracle that brought us to this location, to this place, because it really was an answer to prayer. It wasn't because myself or anyone else on staff or any of the deacons were, were people of great wisdom and made great decisions that brought us here, not at all. It was, it was just God in his goodness answering the prayers of his people. So, don't quit praying. For he said he'd show you great and mighty things. And then one more thing we see in this passage, and that is that the people were, the people in the church, when Peter knocked at the door and Rhoda said it was Peter, 
the people were shocked. They didn't even want to believe it. A prayer surprise it was. And then when they saw Peter, they couldn't hardly believe their eyes, even though it was the thing they were praying for. Again, some of this preaching that I have heard when I was growing up and still here today sometimes gives the idea, and they may not say it quite this bluntly, but they give the idea that if you don't have faith, then there's no use in you praying. I mean, you've got to have a certain amount of faith and to get your answer, otherwise you're just wasting your time. I, don't, I do not believe that was, is true. These people had enough faith to pray, but they didn't have enough faith to believe God was going to answer their prayer, did they? They were shocked when God did answer their prayer. They were surprised that God answered their prayer. Dr. John R. Rice, one of the great men of prayer in the last generation, he wrote a book on prayer. I think he had a very catchy title. I think the name of it was prayer. And, um, but in that book, he, he, he talked about a lot of miraculous answers to prayer that had happened in his ministry. But he used the example of, of a, a line maybe stretching from A to B. And uh, on one end, maybe the A is absolute certainty. And the B is total unbelief. He said anywhere on that line is faith. Some people might have stronger faith. They're up further this way. Some people here and some people way down here. But anywhere on that line is faith. I think that's a beautiful way to illustrate faith in prayer. He was a great man of prayer himself. He used to say this. He would say, if you've got enough faith to pray, you've got enough faith to get an answer. Now that encouraged me as a young believer. Uh, if you've got enough faith to pray, you've got enough faith to get an answer. That's what happened here. They had enough faith to pray, but they didn't have enough faith to think God was going to answer, but he answered anyway, didn't he? He honored their prayers in spite of their weak faith. And so, the Lord answered their prayers. They were surprised. I've got, I meant to run it off this morning, something I come across late last night, and uh, I'm going to read it to you. I meant to run it off. I'm going to read it off my phone here, something I found a quote by Max Licato. He says, Our prayers may be awkward. Our attempts may be feeble. But since the power of prayer is in the one who hears it and not in the one who says it, our prayers do make a difference. I like that, don't you? The, uh, the power of prayer is not in the one who's praying it, but in the one who's hearing it. So if you've got enough faith to call on him, then uh, he may just grant you what you are asking for. And then he quotes the verse, Jesus in Luke 18, men ought always to pray and not lose heart. Don't get discouraged and don't uh, give up. Karen's 
father was an alcoholic and uh, Karen's mother died when she was 16, was buried on her 17th birthday and, uh, and Doug, Karen's brother, uh, was adopted by, his, by her parents and of course became his parents. And, uh, and so Karen really was taking care of Doug because her mother was sick for a couple of years before she died. Father was an alcoholic. And so when Karen and I got saved, we started praying for her dad. And then the Lord called me to preach, and we kept praying for her dad. Doug got married to Laura. Laura and Doug were praying for their dad, Fred. He made several professions of faith. He actually made two, I think, with me. He would call me sometimes in the middle of the night, and I'd go over, and we'd talk and pray, and he would make a profession, but it was never genuine. It was never any change. We prayed for 11 years, and, and sometimes he got worse, and, uh, and it seemed even more hopeless. He seemed further away. And then the Holy Spirit drew him and Fred got truly saved. God set him free from his alcohol. He never, he, he never drank alcohol again for the rest of his life after being an alcoholic his whole life. Now, he got saved just seven years before he died, but he never went back to drinking not a drop, and he was kind and gentle and pleasant to be around, and it was a beautiful thing to see God answer prayer. Remember, pray and keep on praying. Don't quit. Don't give up. God answers prayer. On several occasions over the years, I've led people in the hospital to the Lord, and well, many occasions that, but on several occasions, I found out later that somebody had been praying for them for 10 years, 20 years, you know, and I just happened to be in the right place at the right time for God to answer that prayer. One of our church members, still living today, one of our church members asked me to go visit his brother. He didn't think he was saved. I went and visited him, shared the gospel, he got saved. I found out this brother had been praying for his brother for 40 years, and he didn't give up. He kept praying. Who is it in your family? Maybe they're lost. Maybe they're away from the Lord. Maybe they're going through a great crisis. Don't give up. Keep praying. God answers prayer. Let me encourage you this morning. Get back on that journey. If, you'd give, if you've given up on your journey of prayer, get back on that journey and do it in a way that, that is right for you. And pray. And don't quit. Bow your head with me, please, would you? Maybe today you'd say, Preacher, I know I'm saved, no doubt about that. But I, I want you to pray for me that I'll make progress in my journey of prayer. Pray for me. If that's your prayer today, would you slip your hand up all over the building today? Yes, many hands all over. My hand's up as well. You may put them down. God bless you. Maybe you'd say this, Preacher, I'm not saved. I've never trusted Christ, and Christ alone is my Savior. Pray for me. Anyone like that? Slip your hand up quickly right now. I'm looking around the room. Anyone like that? Anyone? All right. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. Teach us to pray. Lord Jesus, I remember when your disciples said to you, 
when you were in your earthly ministry, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. So this morning we say that to you, Lord. Sovereign one who is on high, our Savior, our Deliverer, our Redeemer, and our best friend, teach us to pray. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Stand with me, please. The words are on the screen. We're going to sing, and as we do, if you'd like to come for prayer, we invite you to come. Let it be our prayer this morning. Thank you. Thank you so much. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Visitors, it's been a joy to have you. Come back and be with us again tonight, uh, or again. But, and if you come tonight, 6 o'clock is our Bible studies. And Dr. Miller will be teaching right here in the auditorium, or you've got about three other choices for adult Bible studies. So uh, come back, and if you, you don't know what those choices are, you can see somebody out there at the front lobby at the uh, Welcome Center, and they will be glad to uh, give you some options. And uh, so come back and, and be with us. Um, and we're glad that you're here today. Let's see. Miss Karen's with the grandkids right now. She'll be here for the other service. So I always look at her and say, did I forget anything? as far as announcements, so if I forgot something, uh, she'll have to let you know later. <laughs> and Brother Lee, if you would, how about stepping up and dismissing us in prayer, please, sir? You have a wonderful afternoon. God bless you. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, Lord, and the words we've heard from your scriptures. Lord, thank you that you love us that you're mindful of us, that you hear and answer our prayers. Lord, that you want to communicate with us. You want to talk to us and we want to talk to you. Lord, help us to be mindful that we can call upon you in our time of need and you hear and answer our prayer. Thank you for your shed blood, your precious blood shed on that cross that we can have eternal life with you in glory. Thank you for the words we've heard today. We pray you'll bless our pastor and encourage him and strengthen him, Lord, and use him in a mighty way. Lord, we pray for the people here today that they've been blessed by your teaching, your word. Thank you again for loving us, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.